Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg ad-free and right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network, from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm -mm -mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. This is the Ion Travel Podcast with CBS News Travel Editor Peter Greenberg. Hi there, everybody. Peter Greenberg here with another Ion Travel Podcast. This week, we're in Cleveland. All stereotypes aside, our flight wasn't suddenly diverted here. We're making a return visit to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, as well as to Cleveland itself. I'm on the shores of Lake Erie as I speak to Greg Harris, who runs the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, on the music that changed America and still drives it today. Then I'll dig deeper into the vaults with Waka Anwusa, the Rock and Roll Hall's chief curator on how they collect and then preserve more than one million artifacts. And if you think it's all rock and roll, think again. 
I'll sit down with Andre Grimelet, the president and CEO of the Cleveland Orchestra. And finally, you can't talk about Cleveland without talking about baseball. It's not the Indians anymore. It's the Guardians. And I've got to admit, I'm still not used to that name. But the legacy of the team remains strong. And Jeremy Feeder, the Guardians historian, stops by with the memories of past seasons and, of course, as it happens every year, the hopes for this year. Batting first, from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, Greg Harris. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. How are you, sir? I'm fantastic, Peter, and welcome back to Cleveland. And as noted, we are inside the actual Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, you know, six floors of the history we're, of our we're lives. We're in your studio. <laughs> we're in the radio studio right here. What um, a coincidence. A radio show in a radio studio. Y- you know, you 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 and your crew know your way around this gear. Uh, why don't you just stick around and do every show from the Rock and Roll <laughs> Hall of Fame? We'd love to have you. I would love to do that. Seriously, because <laughs> you're all set up. Plus the exhibits, you'll have to get me into the studio from the exhibits because you change them all the time. You have your regular exhibits, but the new ones, the Beatles is amazing. Yeah, you know, we we always tell the story of, of rock and roll in the museum. Of course, the roots of it, blues, gospel, country. We talk But it actually started here. Yeah. I mean, the, the word rock and roll, yeah. right? Alan, uh, Alan, Alan Freed. Freed. It was, uh, and I knew his son Lance. Yes, uh, uh, who's in the music business. He was at A&M Records. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you know, the rock and roll was always used in songs as a euphemism in the 20s, 30s, 40s, but Alan Freed in the 50s really popular it as the term for this sound of youth culture and the mixing of R&B, country, blues, and all that stuff. But we tell that story here every day, and then we do special featured exhibits. And as you mentioned, um, our major exhibit right now is all about the Beatles. It's about those amazing Let It Be recording sessions. Is that um, 1969? Uh, yes, and it's uh, it's those may have watched the... the um, the, the docu-series by Peter Jackson. Which is amazing. Yes. Oh, my God. Um, amazing. So we worked with the Beatles themselves, with Paul, um, with, with Ringo, with the estates of Lennon and the estates of Harrison, as well as Peter Jackson, to uh, create this exhibit. And we tell the story of those sessions, and then you go on the rooftop itself and see them performing larger than life. The audio is unbelievable, and it just takes you to that moment in time. Here's the thing that always blows me away. I forget, and I think so many people forget... When they broke up. Yeah. Right? Yeah, you know, as this is, this is, there's been a narrative out there for for decades that uh, that it was so acrimonious as it was happening in this film footage, as Peter Jackson shows us, they were actually really in a creative uh, moment. They were enjoying each other's company for the most part. Uh, It wasn't like, divorced people living in the same house they were creating amazing music together and there's such joy in it and he told that story in the docuseries and that's what we tell in this exhibit and it's a pretty big deal well 
it's the Beatles, right? The most uh, yeah. impactful, influential rock band in the entire history of the world. And then it's here at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, the only place in the world that has this exhibit and done with the collaboration of all the parties involved, including Apple Corps uh, Limited, which is still in, in existence and still represents their interest. So we had everybody at the table and uh, we opened this thing uh, this spring. It's open now. Visitors can come all summer long and enjoy it. And uh, we can't wait to share this with the world. I mean, at the end of the day, it's all about storytelling. Uh, it really is. You know, this, uh, this, well, we like to say that the artifacts support the story. You see the guitars, the clothing, the studio uh, notes, all those things. But what happens with the great stories is they trigger that emotional reservoir that you have from listening to this music for your entire life, who you were with, when you fell in love, when your heart was broken, the greatest road trip of your life. And you know what? When you push play on the song, Get Back, suddenly all that washes over you. Exactly. Let's go back to when my heart was broken. <laughs> no, no, let's not do that. <laughs> I mean, you know, there was a, there's a museum of, uh, I, I probably don't have the title right, but there's, there was one overseas or there was one in California, the Museum of Failed Relationships. Oh. I'm uh-huh. not making this up. There's a Museum of Failed Relationships. Do they have a Hall of Fame? And you know what? Wait, wait. <laughs> And when you think of that title, it's like, probably not a good place to go on your first date. <laughs> right? No, a, but little, you a can, little dark. But from a timeline perspective, you can come here to the Rock Hall and really gauge your entire personal history against the timeline of the music. You can. And that goes for fans and also artists. When artists visit us and we walk through the museum with them, they see the, the artists they admired as kids. They see the ones that where their heart was broken and where they formed their own vision of the world. And then they, they see their own stuff. They're interested in making sure that it's still here. But what I love is seeing them as fans, and we are all fans. This is the music that uh, we, we walk through our life with. We go back to at hard times, at good times, at special times, and it's all alive here at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And you're here because you're a fan. Uh, hands down. I'm a fan. I grew up like everybody else in the seventies, uh, listening to both AM radio and FM radio. So oldies and contemporary, uh, punk rock changed what was my oldies world. oldies for you in the seventies? Uh, they're playing Chubby Checker. Um, and, uh, and songs like, and even, you know, Otis. Wait, we just lost Bobby Rydell. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and he was actually performing up until recently with Fabian and, uh, oh, who's in the beach movies with Lynette Funicello. Oh my, Bo- uh, Bobby, Bobby Darren? No, Bob, no. Bobby Darren was Bobby Rydell's mentor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so they're you know amazing, a great Philly artist, a great East Coast, which is where I grew up, and in that part of the world. Um, as you're, you know, you know this from being a traveler, but in in some parts of the world, history isn't long in the past. You walk through Philadelphia, you see the spots where Ben Franklin was, you see the spots where the Continental Congress met, and they're very much alive. It's not like it was a couple hundred years ago. It's part of life today, and it's still there. And I think music does that too in some cities. The old mixes with the new really seamlessly, and, uh, and that's a, a, great, a great thing for all of us because it, it doesn't happen in a vacuum. You know, you mentioned Philadelphia. When you go through those museums in Philadelphia, you are reminded instantly of what a young country we still are. Yeah. When you go to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, you're reminded about how really young we all are because we're, we're, we're still living that history. I'm alive to remember that. No, you're right. It, it is, you know, in our lifetime, right? The yeah. Beatles um, came and went and their legacy stayed. And you go through all these other bands. Um, but you're right. In Cleveland, you know, we, we should 
mentioned, you talked about Alan Freed, but Cleveland wanted the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Cleveland built this museum. Uh, there's a great civic partnership that got it opened. It's been open now for 27 years. 13 million people have visited. Uh, they've come here and experienced, you know, their their soul opening up to their history and to the history of rock and roll. And uh, and they they come, they stay in our hotels, they hang out, and they just have a blast. But I'm, I, you go through this museum, you get emotional. There's a connection. There's a connection. Uh, you remember. Um, Again, your best times, some of your worst times. You remember the people that you were with, and uh, and there is an emotion. This is this music doesn't happen just as sound. This is this music happens as a companion to our lives, and to our hearts, and it really does. They say that um, you know music is a is a window to your soul, and and rock and roll is our is the music for these generations. This is our music, and this speaks to us. I find it interesting to note, and we talked about this the last time you were on the show, that before you were here, you were at Cooperstown. You were at the Baseball Hall of Fame. I'm very jealous now. You, it's a twofer for you. you. You got lucky in both. You know, I'm very fortunate, right? Uh, you could quote Lou Gehrig and say that I consider myself the luckiest man on the face of the earth. But uh, to work at these two places, 14 years in Cooperstown at the National Baseball Hall of Fame in that wonderful village. With Jane Clark? Yes, a wonderful um, leader chair of the board, a great um, vision and, and benefactor to the museum and to that village. And then to come out here and, uh, and connect with rock and roll, which was a big part of my past. I owned a record store. I road managed bands. And then the other part is both of these places, both baseball and rock and roll, they speak to a very broad-based audience. It doesn't matter if you're from, you know, Bangor, Maine, or from San Diego, or from uh, London, Ontario, or London, England. Well, not so much on baseball at London, England. But if you're from those places, you get rock and roll, and, and then baseball speaks to you. Greg, the, uh, you know, as you walk through the, the hall here, and I know you can take a lot of stuff for granted because you live here, right? But what's the one exhibit? I'm going to ask this question two ways. What's the one exhibit that surprises most people the most that they're not expecting to see? Yeah, you know that that's a that's a great question. I, I think that because um, you know you're going to see Jimi Hendrix guitar. Okay, I got yeah. that part. Yeah, you you're going to see the Supremes. You're going to see James Brown. You're going to see the Stones. You're going to see the Beatles. You're going to see those pieces. Uh, the one that probably surprises them the most as they come through. Boy, I I think that some are surprised. We have this thing on our second floor. It's called the garage, and it's where you can actually play instruments. You can plug in Fenders, Telecasters, Strats. Uh, you, you can you bring know. your own. Well. Oh, no, we, we provide them. Oh, my God. Real instruments you plug in and play. And then there's a room there that's our studio where visitors jam with each other. And I think they don't expect that when they come to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, but the joy that it brings, the connection that it brings. And then when artists visit us, the guys from Metallica were out here just before the pandemic. They were in there jamming with visitors. Come on. So talk about unexpected, life-changing, and uh, and really affirmation of uh, of your love and passion and your belief that they're regular human beings. Really cool. That garage is uh, off the charts, and we're really proud of it. Okay, stupid question. Has anything recordable come out of that? You know, a lot of cell phone videos going up to <laughs> being posted, but uh, uh, no, but you know, we do we do go up there pretty regularly. And now that the pandemic, some of our constraints before of, of not touching things or uh, all those sort of things that we've, we've sort of moved past that and we're able to do it. This place is alive again. And what's really fun in that room is you'll frequently get a family. And let's say the, um, the, the mom played bass in a college band. The kids haven't seen her play. 
So she's up there playing bass or the, or the dad's behind a drum kit for the first time in, in 20 years and his family sees him in a whole different light. Uh, that's really a blast. And we, we love making those moments happen. There will be a moment sometime, you know, in the next couple of days when 10 people will be together that have never met singing Let It Be together inside that room because they came for the Beatles and it's a chance it, to connect. it just happens. Yeah, just wow. happens. Now let's talk about the inductions. Uh, you know, how does someone get inducted? Who votes? Um, and, uh, you know, and you've had some recent inductees, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Foo Fighters, yeah. right? And then they just lost their drummer. Yeah, yeah, very sad. Uh, they were inducted uh, in October. And uh, what an amazing set, amazing induction. They then performed as the finale. They played uh, Get Back with Paul McCartney on our stage and it's out there on the internet. You can McCartney watch it. McCartney was with him? McCartney's oh with him. McCartney inducted the band and uh, they did. They lost their drummer uh, far too young, uh, Taylor Hawkins, a, a really wonderful, warm person and just an um, unfortunate uh, loss for everybody in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame family and the Rock family. Um, you know, for us, the induction process, first and foremost, it relates to impact and influence. But it, let me go back for one second. In the Baseball Hall of Fame, it's a it's a baseball writers who who vote right, and you can only be nominated. You have an eligibility window, and if you miss that one, you're not in. Right? Yeah, that's right. Same thing here. Uh, no, here to be eligible, you had to have made a record 25 years ago. So there's a historic perspective. In baseball, you need to be retired for five years to be eligible. That's the perspective. We do 25 years here from your first release. And then the voting body, um, instead of it being the baseball writers, it's all the other living inductees is the biggest voting block. So Smokey Robinson votes, Bruce Springsteen votes, Bono votes, um, and, uh, and Madonna and so on. Then there's also a, a number of historians, industry people, um, record it, record executives that augment the the inductees in the vote. There's about a little over a thousand voters. The ballots go out to those thousand. Uh, this year's ballot has 17 on the ballot and uh, they vote. Is that a typical number? Yeah. It's usually between 15 and 19 on the ballot. And I should say the ballot itself is created by a nominating committee. It's about 26 people. The nominating committee looks at your impact and influence. Did you take the art form in a new direction? Did you do something innovative? It's not about chart hits. It's not about sales. sales. And which is why, you know, the Velvet Underground is in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And they went in before some artists that sold many more records, but they were highly influential on all others that started bands. Now, of the 17, Mm -hmm. uh, you've already had one artist saying she doesn't want it. Dolly Parton. Uh, yeah, that was an it. That was an interesting thing, and you know, we we did issue a statement um, after uh, Dolly uh, Dolly mentioned that. And, you know, what we the statement was, uh, and I'm going to paraphrase a little bit, was to the effect of one of the reasons that Dolly is so beloved is because of her, her humility, and this is yet another example of that that she felt she wasn't worthy, um, and we also wanted folks. And, to and know when is the voting being announced? It will be announced in early May. And, uh, and what happens if she if she wins? Well, in in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, you know we are we honor the roots of our music: blues, gospel, country, R and B comes together. Inside our museum, Bill Monroe is inducted. Um, Johnny, Hank Williams is inducted. Johnny Cash is inducted. Um, so there is a there's a legacy uh, of um, of artists that that really fit. They've been impactful and influential, and uh, we believe that that Dolly um, fits that category. And 
when when she issued that statement, we had already released the thousand plus ballots. <laughs> In fact, they've been out for weeks Sit and back, many had relax. come back. So let's see how the votes stack up. My thanks to Greg. So how do you first find, then preserve, more than a million rock and roll artifacts? And what makes a rock and roll artifact? Lyrics written on a paper towel by the Foo Fighters? Tina Turner's piano? LL Cool J's car? How about Carol King's piano? And we're just getting started. And Nwaka Onwusa, the chief curator, has just a few stories to tell. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. How are you? Peter, it is amazing. I'm, I'm doing great. It's awesome to have you. Listen, it's awesome to be here. It's awesome to come back. I come yes. back about once every three years because I can't get enough. Yes. I mean, look, you're either the most popular person at this museum or the most hated because either everybody wants to come in or you want to get something. Yes, right. Right. right? So, I mean, what do you look for in in trying to organize and curate the exhibits? Gosh, you know, being here at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, I am falling in so many big, large footsteps. There have been some amazing chief curators that have come before me who have collected um, and have made this archive and collection so robust. So for me, as we're acquiring new artifacts, it's definitely keeping up with the times. You know, music is constantly, constantly changing. So it's what's happening now, what's right here right now, as well as what are some of those things that we're uncovering from the past? What stories haven't we told yet? What is missing? What stones haven't been unturned? And so really combing through this museum, looking at exhibitions that we've um, curated in the past and seeing what narratives have yet to be told is really the exciting part of my job. Of course, you got a little bit of a background. You're an L.A. native, which meant you know the music scene from there. Yes, yes. And you came from the Grammy Museum. Yes, absolutely. Came from the Grammy Museum, was there for 10 and a half years, and truly started from the bottom. Now we're here, like a Drake song and really got to see the <laughs> makings of, you know, the, how the museum functions from the marketing side, the development things, and obviously the curatorial pieces and what people gravitate towards. And so being... Okay, what do they gravitate yeah, towards? I mean, they love... I mean, for me, and I'm going to speak for myself, lyrics, seeing the writings from different musicians. And how they wrote them down. And how they wrote them down, where they so, wrote so them like down. It's sort of like Lincoln's Gettysburg Address, yeah, exactly. you know, on the back of a paper bag. Exactly. You know? So upstairs, instead of a paper bag... We have handwritten lyrics from uh, uh, Dave Grohl from the Foo Fighters on a paper towel, which is on display right now. I mean, it's these unique things that just really humanize some of these, our giants. We consider musicians our heroes, right? Um, Depending wherever you are, but we bring these artifacts to life that humanize the, the musicians. So outside of their instrument or their vocal talent or seeing you know, the clothes that they might have worn at a tour that you were really moved by or inspired by. I think seeing those writings and having all of these pieces kind of converge in one space is really the impact um, that we want to have on all of our visitors. So there's something from everyone. I mean, I'm looking at LL Cool J's car right now. So, I mean, that's an inspiration to someone. And by the way, <laughs> I've seen that car. I wasn't really, I was like, that's his car? That's the car. His Audi 5000. Uh, yeah, Audi 5000. And that's, I mean, that again, to see these pieces 
Uh, and that's an artifact where it has truly changed and transformed our cultural landscape, our colloquialisms. I mean, we say Audi 5000 as a as a term of, hey, I'm out of here. See you later. Peace out. So to see how music has really made that impact and then to garner and collect and acquire truly just all of these artifacts that have changed our scope, made a true impact, I think is really beautiful. And they live here at the Rock Hall. All right. So now I got to reverse that question. Yes. What they, what do they don't gravitate to? What mm. what 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 will you look at? And go nah, I don't want it. Huh? You know, it really because we're living in the world now of NFTs. NFTs, which exactly. is a little scary to me. Yeah, it's a it's a bit it's a bit controversial the world of NFTs, but I think there's still value. I I'm not sure what folks aren't gravitating towards but i know what we are i mean because it could be something that you may see is so insignificant it could be a a button okay or a pin that may it's like what context does this have there was a piece of paper just this torn ragged permit but it happened to be the permit that allowed woodstock to happen in uh in 1969 and this was signed this little scribbly i mean this little raggedy signed by mr yasger you know yeah. <laughs> yasger's farm yasger's oh my god you know and so to see these pieces where it doesn't matter the it, 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 it to me it's not the the quality of the piece or i mean the quantity or what you know the the depth of that thing it it really the depth can be captured in something that you may see so insignificant so i really try not to put my own um, interpretation of importance on certain things. It's really, we all connect to something that's different. So what's the thing that's the most surprising to you? Ooh, the thing that's most surprising to me, gosh, is honestly how well these artifacts have been kept. The Rock Hall um, has an amazing repository. I can say it's over a million artifacts if you look at what we have in-house here in our vaults and in our library and archives, um, so including... LPs and records and uh, paper documents all the way down to the costuming. So the way that we preserve our pieces, I think, is pretty shocking to me and really exciting um, just to see that these pieces, we have to make sure that they are kept for future generations to celebrate and learn from. Now, this is the year that Tina Turner got inducted, yes. Carol King got inducted, the Foo Fighters got inducted. Yes. What, what artifacts from them? Oh, gosh. So from, Other than Dave Grohl's lyrics on the paper towel. On the paper towel. And may he rest in peace, Tony the Hawkins. Drummer, we, the drummer. Yes, we have his drum kit here. Um, so for fans who are interested, you you know, and are huge fans of the Foos, um, their in, uh, in, installation is absolutely beautiful. But from Tina, um, there is a beautiful, I mean, we have her dresses, we have the shoes, um, and we have just some amazing moments, again, just to look at her fashion and look how at how fearless she was. Um, just with her, with her style, it's inspired so many people. Um, the dress from Private Dancer is actually on display. She gave it to... MTV v, an MTV VJ and was so kind gave it to her after the the DJ is complimenting her on how dope her dress is um, and so she gave it to her and then that DJ gave the dress back to us. Um, I only have one question about that dress: Who can fit in that who dress can today? Fit it in? Oh my god! <laughs> um, from that was the hot dress. It's a it's a hot dress and we have it here. Um, from Carol King, we have her um, acrosonic piano, which she pinned and and uh you know just basically 
wrote most of her music on. Like we have this piano in addition to handwritten lyrics um, from Carol, along with the check. She made a bet with her mom um, that, you know, one of her songs, geez, one of her songs would not make it or chart, chart the tops. Song charts beyond charts the top. I mean, the song is multi, multi platinum. So, I mean, there are these beautiful anecdotes. And again, it goes back to these really Little rare. small things. Small things. from Also from her childhood record player that we have. So, I mean, it's a, it's a really beautiful piece. And I think it's an awesome collection from this year's induction, uh, inductee class. And, you know, you've got, what, 17 people nominated now. 17. 17 people nominated. So you're already on your artifact a treasure hunt. We're already on a treasure hunt, but it'll be even more defined once they're announced in May. So we're we're really counting down. We're off to the races. All right, really stupid soon. question. How many guitars do you have here? Oh, God. That's not a stupid question. That's actually a very, I would say, oof, Peter. <laughs> Peter, now you're going to catch me up here. Peter, we... I, let's give it a, over over 300 guitars. Okay. Yeah. All not all on display at one time. Of course So not. that's the thing. We have it's, to rotate. It's a rotating our, exhibit. It's a rotating exhibit. Yes. Unbelievable. Yes. <laughs> Unbelievable. And yes. that's just the beginning. And that's just the beginning. Only the tip of the iceberg. My thanks to Nwaka. But the music doesn't stop at the Rock Hall. Cleveland has truly a world-class orchestra. And they also perform all over the world. Andre Grimlet thinks he knows the key to the orchestra's success. Andre, welcome. Thank you. But your history is fascinating to me because talk about a guy who, you're like a fugitive from justice. You, you, were, in, <laughs> you were the New Jersey Symphony, then you went off to Australia, to Melbourne, Correct. then you found your way to Cleveland. Exactly, and I'm from Montreal originally. So from- listen to this accent, folks. It's a French-Canadian Aussie accent. <laughs> With a bit of New Jersey in it, yes. All right, so forget so, about it. Uh, but yes, I've been here for six years, and I'm, I'm planning on being here for a long time. This is an incredible place. What makes it so great for you? You know, it, it, the, the two words that come to me are um, accessible quality. You know, there's an incredible quality in Cleveland. You, you spoke about the orchestra, of course, uh, but it's not just the orchestra. You know, we have an amazing museum. We're in this, this great rock hall. Um, the schools, the medical centers, you know, everything that this city supports is of quality, yet it's incredibly accessible. And people forget, this orchestra was founded in 1918. It's over 100 years old. Indeed, indeed. The Cleveland Orchestra, you know, um, uh, recognized widely as, as one of the finest in the world. Uh, you know, may, many people have said there's, there's no finer orchestra in America today, and it's been famous really for, for several decades. Uh, but it's a very different orchestra than it was 100 years ago. It's, it's, it's a thoroughly modern orchestra that serves a community that has changed over the past decades, a really diverse community, but also an orchestra that tours the world, uh, you know, so b- both a, a global citizen as an orchestra, but also very deeply engaged in this community. And the, the, the works that you choose to perform, that's changed too. You know, it has evolved. We, we play a lot, of course, of, of you know, quote-unquote classical music, the classical repertoire, but we do a lot of modern music. Um, you know, we, uh, we own both uh, Severance Music Center with, with Mandel Concert Hall, one of the great halls in the world, but also Blossom Music Center, where we, we collaborate with Live Nation and also present some, some rock and pop music in addition to playing orchestra concerts. So it's really a, a wide variety of offerings for the community here. And... 
training and education as well. We do a lot of education. You know, this orchestra, right from the start in 1918, had a focus on education, and that has remained and expanded over the past decades. So, you know, thousands of kids uh, have access to the orchestra. And more recently, we've expanded with digital resources like the rest of the world. We've, we've, we've you know, gone on a digital platform during the pandemic that is here to stay. So we're very proud of that. Were of, you doing virtual concerts in the pandemic? We were, we were. We really, you know, we stopped for a few months, but then restarted uh, in the fall of, of 20 with digital concerts without an audience. Uh, and in, in any way, we, you know, there was a silver lining of the pandemic for us. We, we took advantage of that time to accelerate some of that digital vision implementation that we had in mind prior to the pandemic. And now you're back, you're open. Now we're back. You know, it's uh, people are coming back slowly. You know, uh, some people are careful, but, you know, we have concerts every week. We have an incredible program this weekend, you know, this starting this evening with Bartok and, and Beethoven and, you know, same thing next week. And the week. cool thing is, if you're under 18... It's free. It's free. It's free. And that's that's something we're very proud of, Peter. On on any given night at in Mendel Hall or at Blossom, you know, about 25%, uh, 20% of the audience, excuse me, is 25 years old or younger. And that's, that's a surprise for a lot of people who come to the hall for the first time to see all these young people enjoying classical music. It's not a surprise to us. This music is, is universal. And it's, it's, it's uh, never ending. It's never ending. You know. But that gives you hope, though, when you see the, the age, you know, median age go down. There's a great future for, for, for the music. You know, what we need to make sure is we make the hall as accessible as possible. Ticket prices keep going down because price can be a barrier to entry. How do you keep ticket prices going down? We fundraise. You know, we, we have generous patrons who, for whom this is important to, to have a future. And they, they underwrite a lot of these concerts. So fundraising is a big part of running a, a modern orchestra. You know, you mentioned the symphony in Melbourne. I remember uh, uh, the symphony in Sydney. And uh, they, all, of course, performed in the Opera House. And on Tuesday mornings at 7 in the morning, if you went in, they'd let you go up on stage and play an instrument with them while they rehearsed. That's pretty cool, actually. I'm telling you, it was <laughs> the, the best experience. No, let me tell you the instrument they gave me. The instrument I could do no damage. You ready? Which the one? triangle. <laughs> that sounds pretty good. <laughs> but you should do that here in Cleveland. That sounds great, actually. You know, interactive, right? Absolutely. I love Absolutely. it. Absolutely. I love it. So the season's up and running. The season is up and running. We just announced our new season, our 22-23 season that will start in the fall. We announced our blossom season starting this summer. So, yes, we're, we're, we're feeling good. You know, the, the orchestra is, is excited to be back on stage. We're going to New York. We're returning to Carnegie Hall on June 1st. We haven't been there in, in a few years. We go once a year, usually. Uh, returning to Miami and South Florida next season. Back to Europe, hopefully, in the fall, if all goes as planned. So it, it feels pretty good. But if you're under 25, you'll find yourself right there on the front two rows of the auditorium. There you go. My thanks to Andre. Batter up. Remember the old Indian Stadium? I do. How about Jacobs Field? I remember that one as well. The names have changed on both the stadium and the team, now called the Guardians. But Cleveland baseball is as strong as ever, and Jeremy Feeder is batting cleanup. How are you, man? I'm great. I'm happy to be here. Okay, how long were the Indians the Indians? So the 
The team name switched to the Indians in 1915, and that was after several years of being called the Naps because of uh, player manager Nap Lajway. But come 1915, he wasn't on the team anymore, and uh, they needed these things name. happen. <laughs> right, Father Time is undefeated in baseball. All right, but then so they were the Cleveland Indians from 15, 1915 to to last year was our final season. So about 106 years. I'm not great at math, but I think that sounds right. Hey, well, I'm not great at math either, but I think I passed that one. I know why you changed the name. But people in this town still think of them as, as the Indians, right? Yeah. Um, and I, and I, the mascot. Right, well, and, and Chihuahua's been gone for a few years now. Yeah. He, was, um, uh, he hasn't been on the jersey for a few years. But, yeah, and I, I think, you know, when you, you're, you grow up, I'm from the area, and you, you watch 162 games a year. You know, you watch the movie Major League. It's, it's something you're used to. It's something that, uh, you know, you're used to saying every day. And, uh, and by the way, let's do some history here. Organized baseball in Cleveland goes back to 1865. Right after the Civil War, and this is one of my favorite areas to study because, again, we're not New York or Boston, right? So there's not dozens and dozens of historians picking through your history. So there's a lot of unturned rocks in Cleveland. And for us, you know, you start seeing right after the Civil War, the organization of the Cleveland Forest Cities of the, uh, you know, that early league. And the Cincinnati Reds loved to, you know, talk about the 1869 Reds, but you know, Cleveland was paying guys in 1869 as well, just not as many and, and not fully <laughs> professional as the, the Reds. So we're just getting off our, uh, our series against the Reds and, you know, I always like to uh, uh, compete with our interstate rivals. I get it. I get it. Not every state has two teams like that. Exactly. And, and we're, we're lucky to have the, uh, the best baseball team in Cleveland, I think, or in Ohio. Oh, I wait, think. wait, let's stop right there. What did you say? The best the baseball, best team, baseball in team in Ohio. Uh, and, you yeah. said Cleveland, <laughs> which brings me up to my next question. You know, everybody says, wait till next year, wait till next year. Last year, not so good for you guys. Wasn't the best. We've, we've had a, a great run with uh, Terry Francona as manager since he came in in 2013. Obviously, we've made it to a World Series. We're not going to discuss how that ended. It's still one of the things I'm trying to you know get through. You're still own. in therapy on that. Oh, it was the longest drive home I've ever had. But under Terry, <laughs> we've only had one sub-500 season, and we've had you know several playoff appearances, Cy Young winners, uh, um, you know, all-stars. We had an all-star game here that you know resulted in Cleveland having another all-star MVP and Shane Bieber. So just a, a tremendous amount of success under Terry, and it's been a, a, a great era of, of Cleveland baseball. I got to get into this at some point in our conversation today. The new rule changes. I'm not, I don't know if I, if I buy it. I mean, the shift. Yeah. I think that goes into effect next year. And again, shifting has been part of baseball for, you know, Going back to uh, Lou Boudreaux. When, when I he, play in a softball game, they put the shift on me. I'm a power left-hand hitter. They all move over to right field. And and Ted Williams was a, a great hitter, and that's why Boudreaux would shift guys over to... to but he was an opposite side. of uh, he, always, he hit both ways. Right, and, and for Ted Williams, that was like, all right, challenge accepted, and he did it the other way. And, uh, you know, there aren't too many Ted Williams out there. So it will be interesting to see how these rules, you know, uh, affect batting averages and the way guys play. And the number of innings? Yeah, that, I think that the the so previous years we had the double headers, which were you know the seven inning games, hey. and at times you know when, my sit, favorite quote from Ernie Banks: "Let's play too." He played for the uh, the team we're not going to talk about as well, um, <laughs> but right. I mean, there's there's times we're like, all right, these seven inning games, I can get behind that, but you know, baseball is such a traditional sport that um, you know when you make these changes, it takes time getting used to and. 
with, with everything, baseball's always been a sport of tinkering. They've always, you know, there's been a few things that have been standard, the base length and all that, but there's always been changes. The mound has changed, and uh, it's 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 a beautiful game insofar as it's it's never done being uh, tinkered with. I'm still going to try to get that name out, Guardians. Yeah, and like I said, I'm, I'm at a point now just because I see it every day and I, I write it and look at it. I'm, I'm getting more and more used to it. And, uh, you know, I can't tell the difference now. I look at the new C we have that's on our hats and, and around the ballpark and, you know, I'm just, I'm used to it. But it, again, I it's one of those things we understand that it's going to be a while and everyone moves at their own pace. So we're, we're aware of that. Okay, I'm going to ask what might sound like a self-serving question for you, but maybe not. Are Clevelanders Baseball fans. Yeah, I mean, so, you know, everyone talks about Cleveland being a Brownstown, and I get it. People love sports in Cleveland, but... Well, you can talk about the Brownstown, but let's be honest. You want to talk about, you know, lack of victories. We can talk about that for a long time with the Browns. We'll go back to baseball and we'll say... Um, well, let's talk about the dogs in the end zone, right? I mean, they're all, they're, they're lonely guys out there. And, and you know, as a, I'm a native Clevelander and, and you want to see your, your colleagues succeed. You want to see Cleveland in the best light. And, you know, I, I think that they're, you know, they're, they're hopefully we're, we're getting to a place where all three Cleveland teams are, are going to be continual playoff teams. I mean, the Cavs are, are had a heck of a season that no one thought they were going to have. So I think Clevelanders, you know, we, we kind of live and die by our sports teams. And uh, I'm going to say something that's going to date me. I relate to the Cleveland Browns as Jim Brown. Yeah, because he was the Cleveland Browns that, to, to I mean, me, the greatest running back going out at uh, you know when he wanted to go out. And, and I'll give you another one. I remember this game so well: Bernie Kosar, Ernie Biner, and the fumble and, on the goal line. And I was born in '86, so that stuff for me, luckily, is just uh, I hear my dad <laughs> talk about it, and you know, I said, "Dad, where were you when you were watching this game?" And uh, I mean, I've seen that on the highlight reel so many times because. It was a slam dunk, and, and they blew it. And there's this, I, we like to call it the montage of misery, where the, before the Cavs <laughs> kind of, um, you know, broke the curse. I don't believe in curses per se, but they'd show, you know, the fumble. But you're aware drive. of the curse. Yeah, yeah the, 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 yeah. the Jordan shot, the, the 97 World Series. And, you know, it, and, and I think it, Cleveland has, can get piled on. And that's why I think, you know, we're, as Clevelanders, we, we wear this, you know, we're, we're tough, we're resilient, you know, we know what outsiders might think of us. But when people come here, I think they quickly realize, man, this is a, a heck of a town and there's a lot going on for us. And, uh, you know, what you see necessarily, you know, if, if people talk about the the river burning, it's like we can make fun of ourselves, but now if someone else is making fun of us, that's where we uh, we draw the line. Listen, I promise not to, to, to sing the lyrics to the Randy Newman song, but the bottom line is, I'll be honest, so many of my friends, when I told them I was coming to Cleveland, said, who did you piss off? I'm saying, what are you talking about? I've been coming for 35 years, 40 years. I love this place, right? Because there's so many different neighborhoods and so much stuff to do. Well, and everyone's just friendly. I think, you know, Clevelanders, that Midwestern friendliness. And, uh, you know, there's there's all these places to uh, to eat and drink. And, you know, I, I grew up in a, a Polish-American family. My grandfather played in a polka band, recorded on Capitol Records, you know. So it's like there's these cool you know, ethnic did you grow up? Did you dance the polka? The I'm truth? not very the good truth? at it. My but mom was good at it, yeah. um, and my aunts and an uncle. Did, did he play the accordion? So my my grandfather, he played the accordion, was drafted into Korea, and was paralyzed in Korea. Oh, and when wow. he came back, he picked up uh, the clarinet and uh, Ray Bazilic, and the, that was his name. And he had a big band in Capitol Records, toured the country. And uh, again, uh, you know, it's one of those those... Cleveland stories, I think that he toured the country on Saturday nights. Yeah, he he was gone and and out in, in Rochester and and Dearborn and 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 Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania. Big oh my Pennsylvania God, absolutely. Polka scene, yep, yep, amazing. 
So is there going to be a polka resurgence here in Cleveland? Well, you know, the day after Easter, we celebrate Dingus Day. And I know you had Sean from Happy Dog here. They're a big host of uh, the Dingus Day festivities. So it's a big, uh, you know, it's like a, a Polish St. Patrick's Day, I guess, where everyone's out and, and enjoying pierogies and, and, and kielbasa and, and all that stuff. And they play polkas. There's the DJ Kishka guy and the Chardon Polka Band. So Cleveland's got a very rich polka scene still. So there's Bat Day and Ball Day. Is there Polka Day at Guardians? You know what? I would be uh, I would be thrilled. I have a great photograph of Mudcat Grant, who recently passed away. Um, my my grandfather was playing a polka concert at the old ballpark, and Mudcat's behind the fence with him with a microphone singing. So I ended up tweeting that out a while ago. And you know, again, one of those things about baseball, going back to baseball, is it connects generations and connects you know different strands of your life together that you might not even you know realize. And and that's the beauty of of baseball, I think. That's right. And the thing is. We did our show from Cooperstown. We've done it a couple of times. Just to walk in that Hall of Fame and just look at those stories. Unbelievable. Oh, Cooperstown. We my, took my family out there right before COVID, and uh, you could spend you know a week out there. And I'm actually headed back out there in July. Uh, one of our old broadcasters, Jack Rainey, will be recognized with the Ford C. Frick Award. So really proud of that. And again, getting our history elevated so fans are aware of this rich history. Granted, you know, you can't. I don't think I always tell people you can't judge a team's history just on World Series titles alone because you're going to miss out on great on all the other losses. <laughs> <laughs> and that's you know, and, and there was that quote where baseball is it's it's beautiful because it's meant to break your heart. My thanks to Jeremy, to Andre Grimalek, to Ruaka Anwusa, and to Greg Harris. And my thanks to you for listening to this Ion Travel podcast, Cleveland edition. For more conversations with the world's leaders in travel, as well as answers to your travel questions, be sure to rate and review this podcast wherever you happen to listen to podcasts. And for all the breaking travel news, you know what to do. Just log on to petergreenberg.com. The Ion Travel podcast is produced by Amanda Morris and Anthony Protis Chung. For more content from Peter Greenberg and the Ion Travel team, visit petergreenberg.com. Ion Travel is a production of CBS News Radio. If you like Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com survey. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get gig speeds powered by fiber from Cox. It's internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Download speeds up to one gigabit per second. Cox internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Are you ready for an all-new season of Survivor? You better be because Survivor 46 is here and it's 90 minutes of twists and turns you don't want to miss. Better yet, after each episode, there's a brand new episode of On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. Each week, we go behind the scenes of the episode's biggest moments, taking you into the how and the why things happened. And this season, we're very lucky to be joined by an expert, the winner of Survivor 45, Devaya Daris. What is up? I'm thrilled to be joining this team and to be giving you my take on how and the why players made the moves they did what it takes to outwit, outplay, and outlast. And to ask Jeff some questions, because even after 26 days out there, there is still a lot for me to uncover. Bring it, D. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast.